It's the rock in the building. Khalid. What's up, Rahmel? What's up, Corral in the house? Live from the United States. Brooklyn, New York. It's your boy. Slopped overseas and Punjabi MC in the rock. I came to see the mommies in the spot. On the count of three, drop your body like it's hot. One, young, two, you, one, two, three. Young hoes, a snake charmer. Move your body like a snake mama. Make me wanna put the snake on ya. I'm on my eighth summer. Still hot, young's the eighth wonder. All I do is get bread, yeah. I take wonder. I take one of your chicks straight from under your armpit. The black Brad Pitt. I'm at till six in the AM. All day I'm P-I-M-P, I am simply attached to the track like simply, it's simply good, young ho, infinitely ho, R-O-C and we don't stop, Punjabi and we don't stop, R-O-C and we don't stop, it's your boy Jay-Z and we don't stop, nigga R-O-C and we won't stop. We're gonna actually ride to the second verse. Boy, ho from the US, you just lay down slow. Catch a boy mingling, England, meddling in the Netherlands, checking in daily under aliases. We rebellious, we back home, screaming, leave Iraq alone. But all my soldiers in the field, I will risk you safe return. But only love kills war when will they learn? This international hope, been having a flow. Before Ben Latin got Manhattan to blow, before Ronald Reagan got Manhattan to blow. Yo, I know, I know, I know. I had to let, I let that intro go a little bit longer than I usually do, but uh, you know what? I just want to go ahead and let it ride because um, I think the song's very apropos. Now I know what you may be thinking: like, why is Kamara playing such a festive party song surrounding such a tenuous situation, especially one that is on its face has nothing to do with the subject at hand, at least on the surface. But as most things go, we must look beyond the veneer. It's not just the fact that Hove dropped the bar in the second verse about the Iraq war, referencing bringing our troops home, bin Laden and Ronald Reagan. But it's the idea of how beautifully it all ties together with the fact that this song, as stated many times within the record, is from the Punjabi MC. Now, the Punjabis are a cultural group that has their basis in, in India and in parts of Pakistan. Now, that's where things get interesting, because it's in Pakistan where Afghanistan's Actually, are so uh, Afghanistan is so closely tied up. Not only is it a place where Afghanis uh, fleets exiting the southern border of their nation, but it's also the place where, in the early 1990s, a group called the Taliban recruited a number of the individuals, fresh off the Soviet-Afghan war. The Soviet, the Taliban recruited over 15,000 people, uh, men particularly, who fled from their native Afghanistan into the neighboring provinces of Af- of Pakistan. These men returned to a nation torn apart by a 10-year war and was intent on rebuilding and instituting an Islamic state. But before we get into the rise of the Taliban, we first must address how they got here. And so we have to go back. And when I say back, I mean almost 100 years. And that's after the Third Anglo-Afghan War. The Afghans were, became recognized as a fully independent state by um, Great Britain. 
This was established in 1926 as they reformed the Kingdom of Afghanistan. This began a period of modernization and increased contacts with the outside world. This monarchy ran for comfortably for 60 years as they res- respected internationally, even visiting the White House. In 1973, the monarchy kingdom was overthrown in a bloodless coup d'etat by the king's cousin, Muhammad de Aoud Khan, who dashed away a monarch rule and became the president of a single-party republic. He established the Republic of Afghanistan, and he continued the movement of modernizing Afghanistan and continuing to be recognized as a world trade commerce partner. At this time, Afghanistan was receiving aid from both Russia and U.S., both countries trying to maintain a presence in that part of the world and recognizing the strategic importance of Afghanistan with hopes of carrying influence over the country. This lasted until 1978 when the Soviets said, you know what, screw that. We're going to come knocking and invaded the country of Afghanistan, looking to increase their foothold in the Central Asia and Central Asia province of that particular region, already having taken over um, Uzbekistan. Well, it's what's considered modern, now it's considered modern day Uzbekistan. So, Instituting a Soviet-backed leader, the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan, which is an interesting choice because they were, it was a communist Soviet-backed, instituting restrictive religious and land reforms. This led to a bloody rebellious uh, war, which lasted in, from 1978 to 1972, so more than 10 years. Now, 1978 is an interesting year because it was that year after the Saigon mishaps of the United States, which had... Uh, after a failed 18-year Vietnam War. The U.S. retreated from Saigon in 1977, creating a fateful scene off of de- creating a fateful scene from desperation. This remained a stain on American war foreign policy and an indelible effect on how America and the world see the U.S. military and occupation. In 1980, a nondescript congressman named Charlie Wilson saw a 60-minute news program with Dan Rather in which he interviewed Afghan freedom fighters called the Mujahideen, this inspired a sequence of events that allowed the U.S. to secretly fund a covert war, investing billions, utilizing partners in the Middle East from Israel, Saudi Arabia, India, Pakistan, and, you know, um, shout out to the Punjabi MC, as we mentioned earlier. The Mujahideen were seen as such an integral U.S. partners that President Reagan invited them to the White House in 1983. After much attrition, in bodies of defi- much attrition from bodies and financing, the Soviets finally retreated in 1992. And for the next nine years, a battle for the control of the country would wage between U.S.-backed Mujahideen-backed government and the Taliban, who at that point secured 20 to 25 percent of the country. In September 2001, terrorist attacks hit the U.S., and well, 20 years later, here we are. So we're going to get into the meat of this particular subject, but before we get into all that, I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast on Culture Bias. Um, if you're on Apple, please, please, please continue to rate the episode and leave a commentary. That's how we uh, Apple looks at the algorithms. If you're on Spotify, please continue to share it with your friends. Uh, you also find it, this podcast on KamaraWilliams.com. All right. So we want to thank our uh, sponsors this week, Compass Tax Advisors. If you're interested in starting a business and need to know the difference between an LLC, S-Corp, and understand the tax consequences, please contact Compass, Ta- Compass, Compass Tax Advisors. They have a course that gives you the ins and outs of forming a business and tax strategy tips. You can also reach them for a scheduled consultation online or call them at 850-273-7193 or mycompasstax.com. If you're in the market for real estate, please contact Keystone Global Real Estate at 407-680-8510. And finally, if you market for a law firm that help you with guardianships, probates, and um, wills and trusts, it's just any form of elder law. Um, please contact the Smith and Williams Trial Group at SWTG Law or 888 SWTG Law.com or 888 798 4529. All right, brilliant. So, 
now that we've gotten all that uh, fun stuff out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and introduce a special guest of mine, Attorney Bashir Ghazi Alim. Ghazi, Ghazi, uh, Mr. Bashir, are you here? Yes. Did I say that right? Uh, yeah, you said it right the first time, but it's okay. I'll give you a pass this time. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's Ghazi Alam. Ghazi. Uh, so it's, Alam. it's a combination. Of, it's a combination of two words, but I, I'll try to tie it into uh, the the Afghanistan history that you laid out so eloquently. Uh, you summarized uh, for uh, 150 years. So I'll, I'll as uh, as we go along, I'll t- I'll give you what the relevance of my name is as it relates to Afghanistan. Well, let's get right into it. Like, so, you know, let's talk about some Afghan history. Um, lay, you know, lay it out. And, you know, if you want to integrate, in, integrate your name into that, that'd be beautiful. So, okay, yes. <clears throat> great. Well, uh, first, let me start off by thanking you for reaching out to me. I don't do a lot of these. As a matter of fact, this is a very, my very first podcast uh, uh, relating to uh, Afghanistan. Um, so I, I feel I deem it very important at this time to come out and talk about Afghanistan. And um, so as far as me, um, I, I am an Afghan refugee. We came here in 1984 in the middle of uh, the Soviet occupation. <clears throat> and uh, as you uh, mentioned, uh, this was right around the time that Reagan had invited the Mujahideen over here. And Ray, uh, the, the United States hadn't just invited the Mujahideen. They were seeking consultations from a lot of people, including my father. My father had been in the ni- United States in the 1960s. He was, he was a medical doctor. He went to medical school here. And then he had returned to serve his country. But then uh, he only had a very small opportunity to work in Afghanistan. He loved his job. Then the war broke out. Then he was forced to go treat the Mujahideen. But because of his connection, uh, I mean, for five years, you, it's, it, it, you, it's, it, I mean, you can imagine uh, uh, getting on your motorcycle, uh, uh, riding across uh, front lines uh, into uh, Pakistan, getting the medicine, coming back for five years, treating hundreds and thousands of wounded Mujahideen in order to continue the, the fight uh, in, uh, against the Soviet occupation and the communist regime. <clears throat> so in any event, uh, my name... Uh, so just to back up, back in the 1860s and 1870s, we were, uh, Afghanistan was fighting the, the British in the second Afghan-British war. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the, um, uh, I, I pretty much, um, uh, I, you know, Afghanistan was uh, uh, really struggling in the, in the war. So finally, uh, as uh, people who have good familiarity with our Afghan uh, society and the fabrics of society and history, uh, they know that Afghanistan is a tribal society. Afghanistan uh, has historically been a, been a tribal society and also a very religiously conservative society. So that's, that, 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 that lies in the core of what's going on today. So uh, the then uh, very strong, very authoritarian king, King Amir Abdurrahman Khan, uh, he ruled Afghanistan with an iron fist. Uh, for m- many years, and as a result, he was able to bring Afghanistan out of the, um, uh, you know, his, to, 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 to bring a, lo- uh, you know, um, a lot of reform and progress to, into Afghanistan, but with a very tough iron fist. Uh, but in any event, um, so my father, my great-grandparents were heroes in the war uh, against the British. So they helped uh, the king. Uh, uh, they, they, they gathered their armies uh, of their, tri- their tribal leaders. So they, get, they gathered their armies. They were successful in defeating the British. The British went out of, obviously, what happens after that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then 
the internal conflict begins. Yeah. So the uh, back then there was a monarchy, of course, for hundreds of years, and. What happened was that uh, the king obviously needed to go because he was not being very nice to the, a lot of segments of the population along with other stuff. So, um, and then the, his, his cousins uh, were vying for the throne. So this had been going on for generations where, uh, you know, the dynasty, the Afghan dynasty uh, was uh, vying for power. Sometimes peaceful transitions, sometimes uh, uh, very violent transitions. Uh, where cousins and brothers were killing each other and trying to get the power, for, uh, you know, to, to win the throne. Yeah. So um, my great-grandparents and their, the, their brothers, they were fighters, they were warriors. Uh, they had made friends with the, the, the other side, where uh, the reformists, the Shir Ali Khan, Muhammad Ayub Khan, they're, they're, they were either uh, brothers or cousins of Abdurrahman Khan. So they, they, they had cl uh, laid claim to the throne. So they went out and uh, started... Uh, a campaign. So my great grandparents uh, did not join. So finally, when they were cornered in a corner of Afghanistan, they went. They decided to go join them, and try to to save them. So they did that, but obviously they were defeated really badly. And then on the way back, uh, uh, the king and their army were waiting for all for all of them as they were going home, uh, the survivors. Uh, so they made a plan that. Um, one brother was going to take one. Uh, there was two alternate ways to get home. Uh, and one brother to go another way. So uh, the fa as fate would have it, uh, my direct great, my, my grandfather's grandfather uh, decided to go one way. And uh, uh, Muhammad Alam Khan, from whom I uh, derive my, my last name. Uh, so basically, Ghazi means a, a war hero. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term for war hero. So it's, it's a title. Yeah. It, 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 the, the Taliban even use it now. So uh, what the Taliban, uh, the, uh, the Taliban, if a ta Taliban commander has killed the most amount of Americans, uh, he, he would obviously be referred as a Ghazi. Mm. Uh, so my, I, I would presume that my great grandparents were responsible for killing a lot of British, but I don't take yeah. responsibility for that. Right. So, <laughs> right. so, so as fate would have it, uh, 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 Hakim Khan, who was my the direct uh, great-grandfather, uh, he, he made it home and uh, the, the king caught Alam. Um, and he was imprisoned and finally he was ki killed at the hand of the king. Uh, he was executed. And as fate would have it, in 2005, 2006, when I decided to go back and help America uh, in the uh, rule of law reform, uh, after we, we kicked uh, the, the Taliban out, uh, uh, I, I happened to be staying in the same compound where my great-great-great-grandfather's brother was executed, and it used to be a prison. Wow. And we, we had turned it into a compound for our, uh, our project. And wow. uh, I learned about this as I was uh, working there. So in any event, so these are the ironies that, uh, that I have dealt with in the past 50 years of my, or my life on this earth. So basically what happened was the rest of the family, um, he gathered up, Hakim gathered up the rest of the family. So they, they, they ran away, they, flee, they fled to back then India. Pakistan did not exist back then. Yeah. So they went to India and, uh, and for 40 to 60 years they were exiled in India. I believe it was around 40 years uh, in the eight, eight, late 1800s to, uh, to 1920s. And uh, my, uh, it's just uh, I'm so proud of my, uh, the line of my family. I'm sure everybody is, but um, I, I had my grandfather was uh, 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 born in India. A lot of my uh, ancestors were born in India in exile. And then finally, uh, because of later reforms, uh, then they were invited back in the 1920s. And my grandfather was invited back. My grandfather 
happened to speak fluent English, and he was a very educated, uh, um, actually, um, um, religious scholar um, in, in India. And, uh, but, uh, and then when they returned, uh, my parents were born, and unfortunately, my grandfather uh, died of a sudden heart attack when my dad was only two years old. Wow. And then uh, my, uh, my, my, uh, my dad and my uncles and my aunt, they were left orphans. And then my grand, my, my, the, in the Afghan women, uh, 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 we need to talk about yeah. Afghan women. Uh, Afghan women are the heroes in all of this. Afghan women uh, do not get the type of credit that they have, the role that they play in society, in the village, in the... Uh, in, in the household decision-making and all of those. So, uh, yes, you summarized, Kamara, Afghanistan very well, but on the surface. Yes. Uh, uh, we, in order to understand Afghanistan, in order to help Afghanistan, we need to dive deeper into what, what kind of a society Afghan Afghanistan is the, was in the, historically in the middle of the Silk Road. It's, it's the crossroads of East and West. Yeah. So we, we have a very diverse country. We have a more diverse country than the United States, believe it or not. Yeah. That's why you see pictures of blondes running around, Taliban, blonde Taliban, and you guys are the, uh, the darker Taliban. You got the Asian-looking Taliban. You got the Indian, South Asian-looking. I mean, it's amazing. It's just a beautiful country. Yeah. And the 99% of the time of the history, we have been able to find ways how to get along with each other very effectively. We, we have certain pockets all over Afghanistan that exemplify and or is an example or a reflection of the entire Afghanistan. So we have every small villages where we have Shias, we have Sikhs, we have Punjab. I mean, uh, uh, different types of religions. The people don't believe this. Yeah. And of course, now, yeah. now we, 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 a lot of people, Jews have run away. That Our Sikhs, our beautiful Sikh people are, have run away, have gone. Uh, so now it's a different story. So that, this is why there's been a continued campaign to, to wipe out Afghanistan society, not just the land, but there's been a campaign to just uproot Afghanistan, uh, the nation of Afghanistan, and, the, and what we're witnessing today is part of it. So, so sorry for this long introduction. No, no. I think, yes, yes. Um, so this is basically my family history yeah. uh, of, of uh, uh, you know, uh, and then after that, obviously, uh, my father, God bless him, he passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, uh, he, uh, you know, you can imagine uh, li uh, being born in a remote village in Afghanistan and making it all the way in your 20s, late 20s to 30s on a scholarship in the United States, in Texas, in a middle, military middle school. Uh, so that's the type of a person he was. And he, he left uh, a lot of knowledge back. So, um, so in any event, um, uh, he's responsible for we uh, being in the United States. He's responsible. We, it, it was just a happenstance as, as far as how we ended up in the United States. He ended up being targeted. And he was a, a victim of assassination attempts by guess who? Not the Soviets. Was it the British? Not the Russians. No, it was not the Russians. He, he survived so much from the Russians. One time, the Russians caught him uh, uh, as, as he was walking, and the convoy passed him looking for men to kill. And, and he, this, he didn't see the convoy, and he was just walking along. And uh, so usually when they see the convoy, they go uh, hide in ditches. There's irrigation ditches, and other, uh, uh, Afghans know their, their landscape. So they just drove right by him, and he was so shocked. And he, this is one thing that he was always shocked about, about how he escaped, 
how miraculously he just did not. He, they were just shooting everybody in that area of a, a man that they saw because they assumed that they're all insurgents anyways. Yeah. So in any event, so he survived that. And then later he, um, he obviously, uh, he did not, uh, he was part of the national movement, the national, the, the intellectuals. Uh, the, the greatest mistake that we made, uh, that America made in Afghanistan is for disregarding and telling my father in the State Department where he had, they had invited him seeking advice as to in the beginning of the occupation of the Soviets. We, America was trying to determine uh, out of all the groups that had broken out, there were seven Mujahideen uh, uh, splintered groups that did not get along with each other that were fighting against uh, yeah. uh, the Soviets. And um, they were very extremist. They're dangerous. And they were the ones that ended up in the 90s. And they're the, res- the ones that are responsible for, for the, the Taliban coming. Yeah. And they're the ones that are. So, so in any event, uh, so my, my dad's advice was as follows. He said, OK, I represent the Afghan, the nationals, the, 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 the national leaders of Afghanistan, such as the intellectuals, the people who are not re- tied to the tribes. They're not tied to, tied to religion, but they are the ones that are actually uh, fight for the national interest of Afghanistan. They're not defending Islam. They're defending the nation. They they don't deem Islam, uh, this whole occupation of the Soviet Union as a threat to Islam. That's not our responsibility in Afghanistan. We are first most responsibility is to protect our nation. It's up to the Muslim community and everybody else to protect the religion and all of those things. So that was basically the advice of my father that these guys, if, if, you, if, you, if you support the other side, uh, those sides are, yes, they're going to defeat their Soviets, and our side is also going to defeat the Soviets. Yeah. But if you, if you choose that side, I'm warning you, this is in 1983 or 82, I'm warning you that if you choose the other side, those, that side is going to uh, come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah. They're not going to stop. They're going to defeat the Soviets, and they're going to go after the, all, the United States and, and, the, and my, mark my words. So, and then uh, the Americans looked at my dad, and then uh, probably Charlie Wilson was sitting in that meeting. Uh, so they looked at my dad, and then they looked over to the ISI representative, the Pakistani intelligence representative. That, that intelligence uh, representative was also in that meeting. So that person's advice was, no, 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 don't listen to this guy. Uh, these, these guys are compromisers. These guys are not going to fight until the end, until the last drop of their blood. The guys are, that are going to fight for you until the last drop of their blood are the, these other fundamentalists, the, the Mujahideen. And they're, 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 and they're going to fight. And the, the national, it's historically that the, the, it, once the, the nationals they, 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 uh, uh, determine what the na- national interest of Afghanistan is, accordingly, just like we do in America, we're going to compromise and we're going to fight for the national interest of, of Afghanistan. And then the Americans looked at my dad and looked at the ISI officer. He says, OK, we're going to choose that, that guy. Uh, we're going to go with him. So that was the, the, the turning moment of how we ended up here. And what obviously when my, my dad went back, uh, originally he was targeted by the Gulbuddin Hikmatyar, Hezbi Islami, um, who is right now sitting in Kabul. He was, uh, he was uh, sought after by the, by, by the Americans. He was a big American, uh, uh, the America funded. He was a funding source. He was a, very, uh, a Mujahideen leader. He's the, the one responsible for destroying Kabul. 
And then he uh, fought against Americans. He's, he's killed a lot of Americans. He's killed a lot of American soldiers. And then uh, finally, Ashraf Ghani, uh, I invited him back and we, he, he, he excused him and he um, basically gave him immunity. And now he's sitting in Kabul. And now the Taliban, have, obviously, is the arch enemy of the Taliban. And the Taliban are leaving him alone at the moment, too. So basically, he tried to recruit my dad. Obviously, all the seven uh, 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 parties were trying to recruit people. And my dad wanted to, ha- to have no business of being a membership, member of those groups. So Gulbuddin Hekmatar was harassing him, and he gave him a few warnings to come join me. Because uh, uh, they, they knew all knew, knew each other. And he didn't. So then finally, he went and uh, kidnapped my dad. Oh, and wow. then my dad was kidnapped for a couple of days. And uh, obviously, we, we found out about it after the fact because we were in Kabul and he was in uh, Logar. And then uh, obviously, because of his tribal connections, they didn't have the, they simply could not kill him. So they ended up releasing him. And then uh, when he was in Peshawar, after he came back from the U.S., after the uh, incident, uh, this is all recorded in, my, in our A file, by the way, uh, in, as when we became refugees. Uh, so when, we, when, when he returned, then the, the Pakistanis tried to assassinate him uh, twice. One time they uh, <laughs> hit him on a motorcycle, ran him on into a ditch, and my dad just miraculously keeps surviving. And, uh, and then uh, he applied for uh, uh, refugee status. Within months, uh, we were uh, accepted as refugees, and we uh, made the one week or 10 days trek, my family from Kabul to Logar, and then on to Pakistan on foot uh, in 1984. Uh, and then uh, we met with our dad in Pakistan, and then we were in Pakistan for about six months, five to six months, and then we, our visas were ready. We were on a plane to Afghanistan. We landed in New York. We were first settled in North Philadelphia for eight months. You can imagine um, uh, our first eight months in, 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 in America. That's a whole different story. I got knocked yeah. out the first day that I stepped out of the house, but that was a good welcome to America story. Uh, so, um, so then uh, we, later we moved to San Diego, and San Diego has been home ever since. Wow. So again, I digress a lot. No, but I, I, that, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that, uh, that background. I know you're very proud of your family. So what I want to do, Bashir, I actually want to um, play a clip um, yes. from a, that 1980s uh, Dan Rather 60 Minutes episode. It's about three minutes long, and it kind of gives an idea of how – I think it lays a foundation of how the Afghan, Afghani people felt about America and its involvement. So bear with me. Uh-huh. How long has he had this weapon? Two months. Two months. Uh-huh. Two months. Does he know it's World War One? Their forefathers used to fight with uh, with swords, and this is all they have uh, to fight with, also because Afghanistan doesn't have technical progress. Is this the only heavy automatic weapon that he has? Yeah, I no, they only have the Kalashnikovs. Yeah, that's a hand weapon. This is only heavy. Now, what is this over here? This is new. They have, they have just gotten it. Is this the only mortar that he has? No, that's all we have. This is, uh, says it's a 72 millimeter Pakistani made. And these are the best weapons you have, huh? They only have about 20 rounds for this? That's all, they have 20 rounds, yes. <laughs> and uh, they know that these are all old weapons and they really aren't up to doing anything to the Russian uh, weaponry that's around. But that's all they have and this is why they want help. And he was, he is saying that uh, the uh, America seems to be asleep. It doesn't seem to realize that if Afghanistan goes, <coughs> go over to the Gulf that the 
in a very short time, it's going to be the turn of the United States as well. But I'm sure he knows that in Vietnam we got our fingers burned, indeed we got our whole hands burned when we tried to help in this kind of situation. Your hands were burned in Vietnam, but if you don't agree to help us, if you don't ally yourself with us, then all of you, your whole body will be burned eventually. Because there is no one in the world who can really fight and resist as well as the, as much and as well as the Afghans are. Uh, but uh, no American mother wants to send her son to Afghanistan. Well, each mother American mother we don't need anybody's soldiers here to help us, but we are being constantly accused that the Americans are helping us with weapons. What we need, actually, are the American weapons. We don't need or want American soldiers. We can do the fighting ourselves. Do any of his units have any American weaponry? Any of these various odd lots that he's in connection with? Not one of them. They don't have any American weaponry. If you, if we don't survive, you won't either. If you allow this situation to continue, if you allow the Russians to, to hammer us down, then there is no place in the world that the Russians will not have the courage to oh, go but One last question here. The Russians have already hammered them down, have they not? It's a holy war they're fighting, a jihad they call it, a war they will have to win on faith. Islam is their strongest weapon now, even stronger, they will tell you, than the anti-tank weapons they so desperately need. So, I, I play that clip for a number of reasons. One, I think it laid a foundation of, um, you know, what the Afghani people were looking for, they were looking for uh, this American weapons to help fight the Soviet war. But I thought it was a beautiful statement of just how proud Afghani people are. Like they were, they never really were asking for U.S. even back then for U.S. Um, occupation. Um, they just wanted, you know, I guess the technolo technological backing in order to fight this war. And even then, it's a very independent, strong, proud nation. Um, would you agree with that, Bashir? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, uh, it, it's a uh, you, you can uh, a, a, a anal uh, analyze the, it with a situation where, for example, a predator catches a prey, and the prey is basically telling another predator to attack this predator. I'd rather be eaten by you than this guy. Right. So basically, that's the an only analogy I can think of. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, there was no. Uh, that there's no intention, there's no intuition <clears throat> among the Afghans, even the most hardline uh, fundamentalist, uh, uh, religi religiously fundamentalist Afghans to ever uh, invade uh, or, uh, you know, to expand, uh, you know, that the religious ideology. Uh, so, so, so it was never, uh, that never really existed. Although it had the t some, uh, taken some, root uh, uh, at the pan-Islamist movement uh, that had started for, for in Egypt, obviously it had taken root in a lot of countries, including in Afghanistan. And this Hezbi Islami 
that is headed by Gulbuddin Hikmatyar. Uh, that 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 uh, obviously, <clears throat> you know, that we took Afghanistan into the next you know stage as far as you know, uh, adult, you know, kind of explore. You know, the whole uh, uh, the, the, the uh, basically diminishing of the uh, uh, monarchy. A gradual diminishing of the monarchy and then giving way for the, the 1973 coup d'etat that you mentioned by uh, Dawood Khan <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, and the opening up <clears throat> of Afghanistan, the adoption of the constitution and uh, the uh, provision of a lot of uh, uh, political rights such as the uh, permission to form uh, political parties and all those things. Uh, obviously, these uh, democratic uh, uh, principles that were introduced in Afghanistan uh, give way for the introduction of those types of ideologies in Afghanistan, obviously. Uh, so that's why, you know, this whole analysis of uh, uh, what kind of a system uh, works, w would work or has worked uh, <coughs> for Afghanistan. Uh, and and th we can get into that issue uh, later on. Yeah. So one of the things hmm. I thought it, it's interesting, because even now, one of the things I've, I've again, reading up, and watching a lot of um, news coming out of Afghanistan, especially Kabul, um, a lot of the people there are saying, hey, listen, um, we're not, we are not asking for the U.S. to be occupying our territory, um, but we, you know, because we want Af Afghani um, principles to be laid out, not, not Western principles to be laid out within our country. Um, what we're lo really looking for is, again, just to security in the idea of not leaving us by ourselves, especially those who are Afghan, the Afghan allies for the Afghan U.S. allies, right? Um, Correct. Who seemingly, you know, felt almost abandoned um, with this uh, particular um, withdrawal. And so um, that's kind of one of the things I, I actually have, uh, um, I've picked up on just reading, um, reading it and, wa and watching a lot of the film. I thought it was fascinating that it, this is 2021 and this was a 1980 interview and it's still very much tied in as far as the concept of the, and the mentality of the Afghan people. Correct. You know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And th this really takes us to the issue of uh, the, the decision of going into Afghanistan in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that particular decision <coughs> uh, of, of which uh, I, I was supportive uh, in the beginning, from the get-go, yeah. uh, for me, uh, like a lot of Afghans, we were supportive of that decision. Mm -hmm. And that was supposed to be a complete a neutralization uh, 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 campaign. Yeah. Uh, a campaign, a very limited you, scope campaign. You talk about 2001, nation, right? It was not a nation-building nation yeah. campaign. Yeah. Uh, it, it was never uh, uh, intended uh, to be a nation-building campaign. Uh, so... Um, uh, once we decided to turn it into a nation-building campaign, obviously, what, did, what, uh, what, what was the origins of our intention? Obviously, that was not all good. Right. It, there was financial, uh, 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 the uh, military, industrial military complex interest involved here. Yeah. Uh, the creation of billionaires yeah. and millionaires. That, that, those are factors that Americans have to think about. Yeah. That how, how did we, uh, uh, did, did um, um, Americans uh, want to stay in, 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 in Afghanistan? Uh, I, I, I think that we had learned our lessons um, already uh, and we ended up staying there. The, 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 
uh, the, the most amount of time that we should have stayed there is 2005, 2006, the maximum. So in any event, uh, that, 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 that uh, is, what you laid out is exactly, uh, I'm really glad you're doing this podcast, uh, Kamara, because, uh, you know, uh, without really talking about it and without really educating the Americans about it, we're not going to be able to comprehend. The other, yesterday in the gym, I saw this lady uh, that was uh, obviously not very informed, yeah. And, uh, you know, and the whole mentality is, oh, we're being, bringing a whole bunch of terrorists over here. That's very shallow. It's very That's shallow. That's very shallow thinking. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, uh, as far as, um, uh, you know, the Afghans at this point, uh, we, we, uh, uh, we owe them. I mean, we promised them. Of course we promised them. We, have, we, we uh, uh, you know, there's a c contract. There's a, a quid pro quo. Everything is here. It's, it's a social. It's it's, 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 it's it's a social contract, right? Because we yeah. we came into the country um, as quote unquote what Bush say in 2001. We're going in there as liberators, um, and it wasn't supposed to be an, a sense of occupa occupation. And then even in 2004, when um, uh, President then President Bush um, declared mission accomplished, right? Landing on an aircraft carrier and saying mission accomplished, mm -hmm. war is over. Of course, that wasn't true because even 10 years later in 2014, President Obama um, initiated, um, instituted the, uh, the, the, the drawdown of uh, troops. And mm -hmm. at that point, he said, we're drawing down troops, but we're still staying, uh, having active missions, trying to eliminate and push back the, the uh, Taliban. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was one of those things where, you know, the, the those who have been helping U.S. partners, including people like yourself, who have been helping the U.S. government, uh, you said since 2005, those who are going back since 2001, left behind. Um, now, yeah. you know, for those who want to know, um, a lot of people who are actually coming, want to come into the country, they are... They are either interpreters or people who have been helping the U.S. military um, or interpreters' fam uh, families or just people who have backed U.S. ideals. So the thought process that these ignorant, like, oh, they're, we're bringing in terrorists into our country is like, you, you guys are being ridiculous. You're not bringing in terrorists into the country. You're actually bringing in those just such as your family refugees who are products of war. That's right. Um, I, and I, in addition... <clears throat> to the uh, duty that we owe under the social contract uh, mm -hmm. uh, doctrine. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we, in 2009, Congress passed the Allied, Afghan Allied Protection Act, mm. which <clears throat> sets uh, <clears throat> aside uh, immigrant visas or green cards, a certain amount, number of green cards each year mm -hmm. uh, for uh, those individuals uh, who meet certain criteria, including the criteria, the main criteria. I mean, this, there's a long drawn out process for this of uh, the determination that these individuals have provided valuable uh, and faithful service uh, to the United States military uh, in, in, uh, in the war mission in Afghanistan. Mm. Against who? Against the Taliban. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, and these are the guys. Uh, if, if, let's say all of us. Let's, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of the Taliban. Yeah. Let's just put, put ourselves in the shoes of the Taliban who are just basically right now headed to Panjshir Valley yeah. to conquer, uh, make it 100%. Um, uh, they've, been, they've been battered. They've, been, they've, had, they've, they've, they've lost uh, hundreds of thousands of their uh, fighters. Uh, they, they've had uh, their fighters imprisoned. They've, they've had their fighters tortured. Uh, these are all documented. They have had 
B-52s blowing up an entire mountain to, to, to get to one insurgent. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, how, how do we, do we say, okay, we, we did that to you, but okay, uh, now let's just make peace. Yeah. Huh? Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, and that's, uh, by, by the way, uh, <clears throat> it goes to be mentioned the Taliban, uh, uh, this needs to be mentioned that the Taliban have announced a general amnesty uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, now, oh yeah, that's changed country conditions. Uh, you guys are safe now. Okay, go home. <laughs> so let, uh, let, let's, yes. let, let's, let's play a clip here because I think that's very, yes. this is very important because I want to talk about um, the Taliban. Obviously, the Taliban were founded mm-hmm. in the southern region of Afghanistan by Mullah Muhammad Amar, a member of the Pashtun tribe and who became a Mujahideen commander that helped push out the Soviets in 1989 and 1994. Mullah, Mullah actually uh, formed a group in Kandar and then thus um, the, the group you see today. But I'm going to play a clip here uh, detailing the Taliban's um, uh, what they their viewpoint at this point. Hin that joins me now from Turkey. Hin, you spent some time with the Taliban. What was that like and what did you learn about what Afghanistan might be underneath them? Yeah, it was quite surreal. We spent around five days and two nights with the Taliban and what was really clear was just how powerful they were and that despite what was coming out of Kabul or Washington, the Taliban had absolutely no intention to take part in intra-Afghan talks which would lead to them uh, integrating into what was the current political system in Kabul. In terms of their strength, they have a whole new generation of fighters. Some of them weren't even bored when the war began. They were all armed and they also showed us how to make their weapon of choice, which was IEDs. And in terms of the older fighters, they had an incredible knowledge of the region and the terrain. And regardless of what capabilities you had as an army, the United States uh, and their allies or even the Afghan government would find it and they did find it impossible to battle against something like that. In terms of the future and what that holds for Afghanistan. We also spoke and spent some time with the Afghan government around seven months ago, and we spoke to the National Security Advisor, Hamdullah Mohib. In a conversation when we were speaking about potential intra-Afghan talks and where they were going, because at that point they were failing quite significantly, he told me that he still believed that they could convince the Taliban to take part in a democratic system or in their current political system. We think that democracy is the best way or the best system because in that the Taliban can exist. Do you really believe that the Taliban would ever support a democracy? Do you honestly believe that? Uh, I think we can convince them. And it was clear even back then that that was a complete fantasy because Every time we would speak to the Taliban, every time we'd have a conversation, we'd put to them what the government had said to us. And we would ask them, do you have any intention in partaking in these intra-Afghan talks and integrating into the political system? And their answer would be repeatedly no. Their intention has always been to rule Afghanistan and for Afghanistan to adhere to their very specific interpretation of Islamic law. Well, thank you, Hind, for your reporting. And we'll talk again, I'm sure. So... Um, I played that clip just kind of to give a basis for the listening um, audience of just how there's a <laughs> a large uh, gap in ideal Na- naive <laughs> naivete, naivete yes yes you know the, where the Taliban is excuse me where the the Taliban has, has um, known to really want to rule with an iron fist 
Um, there is a, <laughs> a naivete by those Democratic leaders, like, oh yeah, no, we can totally negotiate with them, and it's the new and improved, <laughs> new and improved Taliban, right? <laughs> correct, correct. No, um, well, <clears throat> the Taliban are only believe in democratic values uh, as long as it. Uh, it, it, uh, they are in power. Yeah. <laughs> as long <laughs> as long as they're in power, uh, they they believe in democratic values because, of course, according to their interpretation of Islam and Sharia, uh, uh, all the democratic values are outlined. Uh, everything is uh, matches very well. So the implementation of Sharia law. Yeah. Uh, really, uh, and, and, uh, just that, that, that doesn't uh, necessarily, uh, you know, uh, uh, require uh, any kind of uh, implementation of uh, other democrat democratic processes. Uh, as as far as uh, the gentleman that was uh, talking regarding the principle that that the Taliban are able, uh, you know, that, that that's it's possible for the Taliban to accept, you know, democracy and all of that. Yeah. Um, but you know, he. Uh, he, he's naive, uh, and but he he's a very capable individual. He's very educated. Uh, he's been educated uh, in in the West. Uh, and uh, Ashraf Ghani, that gives you an example. This particular uh, situation where Ashraf Ghani ended up uh, having uh, this gentleman as his uh, national directorate of security for several years, recent years. He was the former ambassador of uh, Afghanistan to the United States, <clears throat> and. Uh, Ashraf Ghani, obviously, you know that he wrote the book on nation building. He was a professor at Johns Hopkins. And he was, uh, as a matter of fact, when my dad was coming to the U.S. in the 80s, we are from the same province. And uh, he is he, about 10 years younger than my dad. So he's the one that he was based in Washington. Put in charge of the, he was as, uh, appointed as the National Director of Security. He's a young man, yeah. uh, a very educated, very smart and capable young man uh, who was tasked with this hum humongous uh, as, uh, he, before he was assigned to that position, he was recalled uh, as, uh, from his ambassadorship position in Washington. So he was assigned as an ambassador as, as Washington before that. So in any event, um, uh, this kind of gives you an, an, uh, it, it's an example or uh, a, 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 a good uh, a case study of what is required and what is needed for uh, building a nation from uh, bottom to top, from uh, from 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 scratch. Um, now, obviously, <coughs> theory is something and practice is another thing. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time that Ashraf Ghani uh, uh, he took power in Afghanistan, uh, by the time he uh, took over from Karzai, uh, he, he uh, the uh, there was a, a an even larger vacuum of Afghans uh, or capable or educated or um, qualified Afghans that could go and fill the positions uh, 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 of, of governance. Um, so that, that was his failure, uh, because by that time, uh, a lot of Afghans had uh, basically uh, lost a lot of hope. Uh, they had been uh, shut out for the previous uh, two, uh, <clears throat> you know, a dozen, dozen of years, or at least uh, beginning from uh, the, during the Karzai administration, uh, where uh, the focus was uh, uh, corruption and, uh, uh, you know, pocketing of donation monies and all of those things, though, and appointing uh, 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 warlords as uh, 
uh, of, of ministers and uh, uh, turning away all the qualified back then, all the qualified Afghans that were uh, very uh, keen uh, and uh, willing to return to their country, such as myself, when I went back <coughs> in the 2000s in order to help with the reconstruction and reform of Afghanistan post-Taliban won. Uh, so then by the time Ashraf Ghani came, uh, it was kind of too late and he didn't have the proper uh, manpower in order to help him. So he ended up with, again, uh, he kind of ended up uh, surrounded by the same remnant, remnants of the same Karzai regime, uh, including the warlords, the coalition of the warlords, and very unqualified and still corrupt bureaucrats. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that, that's why he relied, uh, for example, uh, you know, was uh, his national security directorate that he assigned to go negotiate in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, with the Taliban in Doha. Uh, was he the Afghan to go and negotiate with the Taliban? I can right now uh, choose a uh, uh, hundred Afghans that I know personally that are more qualified or capable of negotiating with the Taliban than a, a gentleman, a young gentleman like, like himself. Mm. Uh, so that's why, um, you know, this is really not a blame. Uh, obviously, the intention was there in order to bring uh, uh, some kind of reconciliation uh, or some kind of, a, you know, a last ditch attempt to nation build yeah. uh, Afghanistan. But the foundations were not there. As you saw, the entire military folded like a house of cards. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, the American attention span is very short. Uh, we had decided to kick the can down the road for so many generations, so many years. Yeah. We decided to do Band-Aid uh, 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 approach uh, to a bigger wound uh, for many years. Uh, we, te we felt that just throwing... Uh, 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 you know, $83 billion uh, uh, throughout uh, the, the, the whole, this entire time at the, the U uh, Afghan national, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, security forces and uh, military and all of that mm -hmm. to train them. There were a lot of corruption still. So this is the result. This is when the Taliban took over, uh, were people like myself, were, were they surprised? No, not at all. Not, right. not at all surprised. And so as far as what's going to happen next, um, that, is, uh, that remains to be seen. But as far as going back to what we, we started uh, a few minutes ago regarding the <clears throat> special immigrant uh, visa applicants and the former entrepreneurs and all, everybody else that yeah. had worked with the, with the NGOs, the women, uh, people in the media, uh, uh, vulnerable uh, Afghans, uh, all of those uh, people that uh, whose lives are in danger simply because uh, they uh, went to help their country. Let's they, talk. Let, let, and, and yes, let's talk about the women. Let's talk yes. about that. Like so, mm -hmm. the women of Afghan. Um, there's a lot of women in government right now, and a lot of women civil servants. And especially in the last twenty years, um, they've had more become more prominent in just being a part of society. And um, the Taliban obviously has a very restrictive viewpoint on how they believe women should orchestra be um, orchestrated within um, society. And so that's one of the things that, you know, as for me as a humanitarian, I'm worried about is the women in Afghanistan. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, th we've made a lot of progress. I mean, we cannot, this is, this is not all for nothing. Uh, I mean, we, we, have, we, we, Afghans, have to be a lot to be proud of. Yeah. 
um, we have uh, uh, women uh, who uh, are very capable, uh, uh, who have demonstrated leadership capabilities. Um, the, uh, for example, they were interviewing uh, Gulbuddin Hikmatyar a few months ago, and they asked him, uh, what do you think? Do you think, uh, because when that, that's when uh, 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 Harris was uh, running uh, as uh, president, uh, Kamala Harris yeah. uh, was running as, as president, uh, and uh, uh, he said, uh, he said, they said, she, they, she, uh, he was asked, uh, do you think a, a woman should be a president or can be a president? Uh, and he uh, turned uh, very bluntly stated that uh, no, women cannot uh, be president because they don't have the mental capabilities, the emotional uh, capabilities, the capacity uh, to be a leader, uh, to be to be able to uh, provide the type of leadership you need in times of war, uh, uh, and all of. So this is the mentality of a person that is not even a Taliban. Yeah. This is a pr- pr- mentality of a former warlord yeah. and uh, and t- the taliban they have a more uh, a pure interpretation of islam yeah. and definitely uh, uh, they talk uh, the talk uh, but as far as whether they uh, walk the talk uh, that's uh, th- that's that's not uh, really the presum there should be a presumption i mean this is uh, i'm i'm speaking from america has no standing anymore as an american yeah, yeah. i have no standing to tell the Taliban at this point to do this or they should be like this or should be like that. that right. I mean, that's a settled issue at this point. Right. They've, <laughs> they've, they've relinquished that control because, they've, um, because of exiting uh, the country, which is, I think is really fascinating um, because, you know, how do you elicit control over a nation that you worked in for almost for 20 years and now you've, you've you know, you've, uh, you've actually uh, foregone that, that, power structure and allowed them to assert themselves you know i there is a theory though um that economically there can be some form of pressure that can be laid upon with the the taliban um you know and so uh i'm gonna play a clip here talking about the economic the finance of afghanistan and then how it how we can actually maybe there might be a window of how to institute some form of um pressure on afghanistan So I'm going to play it right now. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Mohammed Jamjoum. Afghanistan is the world's seventh poorest country and mostly relies on aid. Now, its economic prospects look even more bleak. The United States has frozen more than $9 billion of Afghanistan's international reserves held in its central bank. And the International Monetary Fund has suspended payment of more than $460 million for Afghanistan as part of a coronavirus relief program. More financial measures are likely to be imposed by Western capitals as they put pressure on the Taliban's leaders. They promise to form an inclusive government and ensure the nation won't become a safe haven for other armed groups. The international community says it is waiting to see how this will be implemented on the ground. Many warn that without international recognition and donations, the group might not be able to govern and pay salaries. IMF spokesman Jerry Rice said in a statement, There's currently a lack of clarity within the international community regarding recognition of an Afghan government. As a consequence, it cannot access the special drawing rights or other IMF resources. All right, let's take a closer look at how the Taliban supports itself. The group is estimated to have an annual income of up to $1.6 billion. The UN says that includes external financial support, such as donations from wealthy individuals and charitable foundations. 
A well-documented source of income for the Taliban is the trade in opium and other drugs. But with the Taliban controlling all the country's major trade routes, the group makes more money from taxes on legal goods, such as fuel, food, and other essentials, as they transit border crossings. The World Bank estimates more than 75% of Afghanistan's public spending is funded by grants. Halting aid is expected to accelerate poverty in the country. Nearly half of the population were already living below the poverty line last year. Unemployment is close to 12%, and a quarter of those who work earn less than $2 a day. The currency is set to further depreciate, and that could push up food prices. So, you know, that was a um, scene from Al Jazeera, uh, or not scene, excuse me, a clip from Al Jazeera uh, television, um, and the reporting on just the financial um, structure of Afghanistan, and just really, um, you know, talking about what it looks like as far as uh, maybe the U.S. instituting some form of financial pressure on Afghanistan. Uh, Bashir, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I have so much thoughts on this, but I'm going to really summarize this. Yeah. Okay, let's begin with Taliban. Who are the Taliban? The Taliban, they're just an army, a ragtag, like a quote-unquote ragtag army mm-hmm. of, uh, of uh, you know, of, of made up of these uh, villagers and madrasa students and all of those guys. So what happens with economic sanctions? Uh, let me just begin with this. Uh, I witnessed, I witnessed videos don't lie. Um, <clears throat> Taliban soldiers right now are driving. What are they driving? They're driving American Rangers. Yeah. American, they're, 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 they have position of American military equipment. They have, they're very well equipped right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, number one. Number two, their soldiers, they go, they go around, they do the patrolling around the streets. And uh, they simply stop by and to drink one cup of juice and some, some cookies. Eat some cookies, and then they go on their way, okay? Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's how, the, this, this is the kind of rationing that these guys are, that this is the kind of hardened fighters we're talking about, disciplined, hardened. Their, their motivation is not money. They're, that's not their motivation to, to go and, and become millionaires and billionaires and have houses in Dubai that, that, that we're talking about the general Taliban and all those. So, mm-hmm. so those guys are willing because they have that reward that's waiting for them. Yeah. The ultimate reward, the, the, the 72 virgins on the other side. That's, that's, that's the promise that has been made to them. And that's what basically that's what they're fighting for. Yeah. They're fighting for the other life. So what do you do when you put sanctions on, on them? You're punishing again the, those poor Afghan civilians and, and the war victims of, for the past 42 years. Go, go look at the, some videos on the streets of Kabul. The Kabul, Afghanistan economy is already, already on collapse. So who's going to suffer? Yeah. Who's going to suffer it's about gonna, this, the suffer. economic sanctions? Yeah, it's going to be the people. Like when the, when the U.S. puts in a sanctions, it's never the, usually the individuals. Like yes. that suffer in power is actually the people who need the aid because, as they said, seventy five percent to eighty percent of um, funding to Afghanistan is well, by so aid. This, so this is a great betrayal. Now this yeah. is a great betrayal because the Taliban are not governors. Yeah, they're not. They don't know. They don't know how to run the government. They they know how to keep security. Right. So the Afghans have become beggars. Beggars cannot be choosers. Yeah. They have accepted Taliban because they bring them the essential security that they need yeah. and they're happy and even they're going hungry on the streets 
you ask him, they say that Taliban, they brought security. My stuff are not getting stolen from me. Right. So the beggars cannot be choosers. Yeah. So this is what, this is what we have turned the Afghan people into. Yeah. The beggars. Yeah. And now we're going to go and punish them. So this is a, they're, they're, the strategy that we're headed in is very collapsed, very cal- calamitous strategy unless something changes. Because ultimately the expert, this is not my prediction, the pr- prediction of the pr- people that I listen to, the people that, that I, I talk to, they say, we're going back. We're headed back. We're headed back. We're going to make them more millionaires and billionaires. This yeah. is where we are. We're, we're headed towards making more millionaires and billionaires and more titans and more uh, mission essential personnel, mm-hmm. more, uh, uh, you know, the, what do you call it? The, the guy that... The, the brother of the former secretary of education, prince, princes, more princes. This is what we're headed towards. Mm-hmm. And Biden is, I'm sorry, but I'm very frustrated. No, you're fine. Yeah. I'm very frustrated. I voted for Biden. Mm-hmm. I got rid of Trump. Yeah. I, I saved America, but I lost my homeland. This is my vote. This yeah. is, I voted. I chose America at the expense of my country of birth that I love so much. No, but you it's know, gone. you know, this is very important, you know, just talking about the, the, um, the timeline. So I believe, I agree with you. I think Biden, you know, he's giving one message saying, Oh, you know, we, we believe in the Afghan force. You know, first he says the Afghan forces, security forces were the ones who let go of the country. It wasn't, um, it wasn't America. And he puts a lot of blame on it, but in reality, it was a bad military planning by the Afghan, um, I'm excuse me, by the American uh, uh, military. And, and, it- and this whole idea, sorry to interrupt you, that is terrible. That is really terrible. I'm ashamed. No, it's I mean, it, really. It's real. It's real. Actually, exactly. I, I have a clip that actually. I mean, they're, 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 how are they going to fight? They're going to, if they don't, if, if they fight, people are going to get killed. I have a clip Thank actually. You, Ghani. Thank you, Ashraf Ghani, for leaving Afghanistan. Thank you. Thank you, the Afghan forces, for laying down their weapons. We need to, we need to, th- I need to thank those people. They're in constant contact with me. Yeah. They're, they're, in, they're, they're in hiding. These people are all in hiding. They want to, they, they're so desperate. They're, they're calling an American lawyer, an Afghan American lawyer. And, and just because I answer their calls and I give them some glimmer of hope and their buddies are calling. Yeah. They're all, I mean, these people, they, they, we, 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 we stab them in the back. Yeah. Why? We're not Amer- we're Americans. We don't stab people in the back. Come on. I mean, no, terrible. You know, I actually have a um, clip that, to that very point, though. So let me go ahead and play this. Yeah. Elite units in the country called the 03 unit. They are CIA-trained, American-funded. These guys are spent 20 years becoming the go-to military force that America relies upon in their stead. The U.S. never lets access to them. But in this case, it was so desperate that we just kind of found ourselves with them and protected with them. They were the ones preparing for what was going to be the last stand against the Taliban. They set up a front position right next to the airport, surrounded the area, kind of made uh, a perimeter. And they said, this is it, you know, we only have about a thousand soldiers. The Taliban probably has a couple thousand, but we're going to fight all night. We're going to do everything we can. And we were getting ready for what was going to be one of the most harrowing, hairy nights of our lives. Uh, And just when the sun was about to go down, they announced that they had come to a truce. And the military commanders up top 
the, in the higher up of the military, had decided to stand down, have their soldiers put down their weapons, give up all of their heavy gear, their Humvees, their artillery, all of their bigger weapons. Um, they literally just left the cars running and went to the airfield and the Taliban agreed to give uh, a truce and let these planes fly in and fly everyone out. So in the middle of the night, about 2 a.m., six carrier planes with, um, were filled with just hundreds of military soldiers each. And it was just a really intense scene of hundreds of people kind of packing in and trying to climb onto these. You see them now happening in Kabul, but then it was surprising to see these military units, you know, basically like fighting for their lives to get out of there. And it was a really harrowing scene, seeing in the distance, we could see the shots in the air of tracers for the Taliban shooting in the air and celebrating. And we could get the sense that, you know, this was a bittersweet moment because although they didn't have to fight and lose their lives, this was how the war was kind of faring for them, which is they were losing. I think the story that people in Washington might be trying to tell is that the Afghan military forces had the resources they need, they just lacked the will to fight. From what you've seen and how it went down, like, what do you make of that? I think it's an oversimplification. And we spent a lot of time on the front line with the fighters in Kandahar, and they were exhausted. So they were outgunned, they were underfed, they were undersupplied, and they just were exhausted by it all. So this idea that they weren't, they didn't have the like gumption, they didn't have the ability or the like will to like get into the fight, it's not true. And it's, it's disrespectful of these people that were really fighting. And when the dominoes started falling and these people were all handing it over, the bigger reality is the soldiers that did want to fight didn't have the support. Thousands of Taliban guys compared to just a few hundred willing soldiers is not a fair fight. I'm wondering what you're hearing about people on the ground that you have been in contact with. So, Bashir. Yes. Um, that clip goes exactly what you're saying, like how, you know, they weren't given the full support. Um, even, those are... Go ahead. Those are... Those are... <laughs> Those people that lay down their weapons, they're not a bunch of wimps. No. <laughs> they're not. They're, they're, they've been, uh, without them, America wouldn't even be in, in Afghanistan. It right. wouldn't last one day yeah. in Afghanistan. So, let's, let's, so this gentleman, I mean, he captured it. So he captured it. Let's, let's get that clear. And let's not, let's not fall into that trap, uh, that, that uh, logical trap there. So, yeah. unfortunately... Yes, uh, the, 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 there's a spin here, Fox News and all of those guys. And now, you know, the, the democratic media machine is start and, and, and trying to drink this Kool-Aid. So let's stop, stop that. You know, let's, let's, let's just keep, you know, uh, the, the, it, it, there is evidence. We have videos, we have uh, exhibits, we have, we're talking about the, the social media world. We're talking about the Taliban even having, you know, being, in, you know, there, it's, it's not no matter how much we try to shut off Afghanistan in the future uh, in order to hide the, the, the full story, uh, it's not going to be that, that easy to do. So let's not go there. So this is kind of my kind of advice to, to our friends here on this side that uh, let's not try to demonize and shift the blame or, or, or uh, look for scapegoats here. Uh, we simply folded, America folded, uh, we folded. And obviously I, I agree with the withdrawal. Of course I agree with the withdrawal. Uh, uh, I, uh, you would be naive not to agree with it, but the way we did it, it was very, very, uh, tr tr I mean, 
it, it, it was just really torturous. No, it, it you know, uh, it's like it, the ends doesn't justify the means, right? Like so, like exactly, you can bake a cake, but it doesn't mean that just because it, the cake is baked doesn't mean it, the cake tastes great. Was, you know, it was we chose we chose the worst possible option. Yeah. Uh, we tied ourselves in the back. Basically, here's an analogy, another analogy I'm going to use. Yeah. So basically, uh, <clears throat> you have a way of escaping uh, a house yeah. uh, that is uh, of your hostage takers. And instead of uh, the handcuffs uh, uh, are on one hand, mm-hmm. and then uh, the key is in your other hand. Yeah. Uh, instead of taking off the, uh, the handcuff from one hand, the one uh, 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 thing, ring, uh, you put your b- hands behind your back and you handcuff. You decide to handcuff yourself first before escaping. Yeah. That, this is what we did. And uh, uh, we, we, we abandoned Bagram Air Force. It's like a, a child, a, a child, a, a, a kid uh, can figure this out better, a better plan, a withdrawal plan than, than this plan. Uh, we, we, we just, uh, we, we, we completely relied on one small airport. I mean, the worst possible location uh, to try to evacuate uh, ourselves. And unfortunately, only the only reasonable conclusion that one can make, and every other conclusion is entirely unreasonable and biased, is that this, this was intended. Uh, we, 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 uh, we are afraid of immigration. Mm. We are afraid oh. of bringing yeah. people over. So we, 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 wanna, we are afraid of losing the next election. Uh, we, 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 uh, we, we want to keep immigration. We think that if we do anything that has to do with immigration and uh, this whole idea that terrorists are coming and these people are coming over uh, in, in bundles and taking over our neighborhoods and our jobs, we, if we buy into this, this is what happens. Our policies are going to be guided by that commitment, that this entire uh, misconception that, okay, uh, you know, if we do anything pro-immigration, uh, we're going to lose the next election, which is, a, again, politicians, this is not correct. The only reason you defeated Trump is because of immigration, because, because of the Trump's immigration moves. Yeah. yeah. This is the only reason you, you, you won. Now do something. Let's go. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I came with the, um, I was doing a timeline of everything in the last year or so. So in February 29th, 2020, there were like 13,000 U.S. troops there. Then uh, Trump reaches a deal with the Taliban, agrees with the Afghan government, which is not actually part of the deal, that they were, that they tell the Taliban they were released 5,000 Taliban fighters. The gov- Afghan government. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> you're going to release 5,000 Taliban fighters and the Afghan government didn't really agree to it. So, um, and this is done in order to take action against Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda, and not to attack U.S. troops or coalition forces, or launch any high-profile attacks. On March first, two thousand twenty, Afghan President freaks out and says the U.S. has no authority to commit to release these prisoners held by Afghanistan. Um, but the Trump administration forces it to happen anyway. Um, despite their agreement not to attack any provincial capitals, the Taliban unilaterally attacks Afghan forces in the Hamlan province. And on March nineteenth, two thousand twenty. Um, the DOD um, says that U.S. Cut, uh, will cut troop levels by more than 4,000, even though the Taliban has escalated violence further after signing the agreement. In other words, every element of the agreement, don't attack, renounce terrorists, don't, you know, they don't, don't work with terrorists, has been violated. On 
September 3rd, 2020, Afghanistan, pressured by Trump, has been re- had released the 5,000 Taliban fighters in jail. Um, the last 400 were released this, uh, on the, the last week. Um, and they had obviously returned back to fighting. On uh, September 16, 2020, they continued the violation of the Trump agreement. Um, the Taliban reportedly working with al-Qaeda and attacking three provinces in northern and um, and eastern um, Afghanistan. Immediately after the election, the Trump administration leaks that they're going to do a massive rapid withdrawal of U.S. troops during before inauguration. Um, this is actually goes in line with the fact that when they refuse to do a transition team, distressed by the reports, there were different senators saying that we're turning this into a t- Saigon type situation. This is quoting Marco Rubio and McConnell saying, um, saying that this would hurt our allies and delight the people who wish us to do harm. On the November 17, 2020, without consulting the, the incoming administration, um, which is, was still being blocked by security briefings, the Trump administration announces rapid withdrawal of troops down to 2,500 by five uh, by five days before um, inauguration. That was down from the 13,000 that was almost um, earlier that year. Um, now they were playing with people's lives because this incompetence was riding large. Like there was a, this is where Biden screws up, right? Because not by fully right. reversing the nonsense that Trump had done. So on February 3rd, 2021, the Afghan study group created by Congress urges Biden to abandon the Trump timetable set. And despite that fact, and stop announcing the dates um, with the withdrawal on all sides, both Afghan government and the Taliban meeting all the commitment until both at the Afghan government and the Taliban met all the commitments. That was in the, in the Afghan study group and under a peaceful framework that can be reached. So it would be based on the status uh, and not by on date. On March 25th, General Richard Clark of Central Op Command says the Taliban has not met its obligations under the treaty and the framework. On March, I mean, on April 14, 2021, Biden sets the time, the deadline of September 11th for getting out of Afghanistan, ignoring the recommendation of the working group. That is a big, major mistake. Obviously, on April 18th, Trump rants and raves saying that Biden should start pulling everyone out beginning in about two weeks. Um, Biden actually makes the mistake again of following the Trump timeline and not establishing his own timeline or a framework of leadership within the situation by dealing the situation or kicking the can down a road or just kind of ignoring it and then pushing it onto the Afghan security forces, which was not fair. Right. And he, and he put people in, uh, in harm's way by his lack of leadership in this manner. So, I mean, it's, it's bad all around, right? You can look at the, the, the previous administration of how they handled the situation and then you can look at this current administration and how they are dealing with it. Now, true enough, they are trying to relocate and they've, uh, they've I think they've um, got tens of thousands of people out of um, Afghanistan um, as currently. I think based on the um, the White House stated that they've gotten 22,000 people have approximately been relocated uh, and it, with 17,000 people scheduled to be removed um, within the next three days, um, they've gotten six uh, air, commercial airlines to work with them on doing so. So they're trying to do the cleanup and not make this into a Saigon situation. But nevertheless, it was just a bad, bad uh, form of leadership by this administration. Would you tend to agree, Bashir? I agree 100 percent with that characterization. And you pretty much captured it. I mean, you the timeline that you said, what is more there to say here? I mean, uh you know, uh, the, the military at this point, uh, or, you know, who, everybody that's in charge of the evacuation, 
obviously they're doing the best that they can at this point, but we have a very limited window here and we have uh, this hysteria that we created and the mixed messages that we uh, sent to everybody regarding uh, how to rush to the airport. Do you think those people just decided to just, you know, rush to the airport right. for no reason? No. Uh, <laughs> no. You know, uh, it's, yeah. we set it all up for them like that. This is exactly how we set it all up. Right. I mean, uh, so people are out in the streets of Kabul. They're selling all their household belongings uh, for whatever cash that they can get out. And then they're fleeing. The banks are closed. What else? I mean, if, if you were a responsible parent, a family member, what would you do in the, under these circumstances? Yeah. So in any event, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a calamity. Uh, 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 it's, a, it's a recipe uh, for disaster. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, this administration is in charge, not the Trump administration. At this yeah. Point. They... And all of these uh, announcement of the timelines, the original... Uh, of course, uh, let, let's say that the culprit here is Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, Khalilzad, yeah, Khalilzad, Zalmay Khalilzad, uh, uh, Trump, yeah, for uh, reaching this agreement, number one, yeah, uh, where uh, you first reach an agreement of withdrawal, mm -hmm. uh, you commit to a withdrawal, and then you ask your adversary to negotiate with the government right uh, and then try to come up with some deal please if, if you can then just go uh, go to war and kill a whole bunch of millions of other afghan civilians along the way if if if, if that's avoidable please do so uh, other than that uh we're we're going to sign this contract and the only thing we want to get out of you guys taliban uh, just don't attack our forces that's the only thing if you want to violate the rest of this uh, 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 agreement. Uh, that's up to you guys. You know, I, I mean, we're we're pretty negotiable. You know, we're very lenient on enforcing our agreement. <laughs> wow. uh, and uh, we we're not going to take you to court. You know, it's it, this doesn't really mean it's not. You know, it's just a contract. You know, I mean, it's not enforceable. It's okay. Go ahead. So, establishing a, a timeline uh, of leaving, regardless of whether they're going to come up with an agreement, reconciliation. Uh, compromised government and all of that. Uh, I mean, that's uh, really throwing uh, your boy Ashraghani under the bus, right? Isn't it? <laughs> so, so, so you know the thing. That's really we threw threw we threw people under the bus, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the things you you you've uh, pointed out is that you know the people there on the ground, <laughs> they're not. They're not running to the airport because like they just missed their flight times, right? They're running to the airport because it's been a it's been a poor communication and poor leadership by um, this administration. And um, I I want to point out something that you said very that was very key. The at the same time while Trump was um, you know doing this bad faith negotiation in Afghanistan, um, his administration, particularly Stephen Miller, um, was actively not allowing the civs, the special immigration visas to go through regarding Afghans because he said, I don't want, um, you know, terrorists to be invading our country. He would go on to Fox News and say these things. So on one hand, he's got his, he's got his boss telling, um, doing a, a time, time certain date of a withdrawdown. And then on the same hand, 
he's not even going to honor the Afghan um, allies who have been helping the U.S. in the last 20 years by saying, I don't want them in this country. So the, um, the and I, I think you, you may have experienced or seen this, um, the amount of level of backlog for refugees to come from Afghanistan into the U.S. was intense because people, because the previous administration was, was doing a stopgap and allowing a lot of those who were Afghan um, uh, uh, country to come into the U.S. Am I right about that? You're absolutely right about that. Uh, as a matter of fact, th- th- this pinpoints what the wh- 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 why w- w- the whole problem. We didn't have a special immigrant visa coordinator mm-hmm. intentionally at the U.S. Embassy since during the entire Trump administration. Mm. You, you, you don't have a, a special immigrant visa coordinator at the embassy to try to to uh, to process all these applications. So as a as a result, uh, a lot of these these very qualified former interpreters, or even continuing until this day, until even now, where we where I have for a special immigrant visa applicants who are continually employed by certain organizations, and they're continuing to work. Mm-hmm. They're they're still they're still employed, and 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 they. Uh, have been denied for very bogus reasons, such as uh, go, having to take your mother to India on an emergency basis, have an operation for some medical reason, and then not telling your employer, forgetting to tell your employer, and then telling your employer after the fact, and then your employer, who is a U.S.-based corporation, decides to terminate you uh, as a pretext, using it as a pretext because that employer is under the pressure to get rid of a, a whole bunch of these types of interpreters because we're trying to draw down our forces in, yeah. the, in the 2010s. So in any event, uh, so so he, he said so he's been in this backlog. For example, this is just one example. Yeah. Other examples, we decided to all of a sudden subject these poor guys to polygraph tests and then pressure them. Uh, trick them into failing polygraph tests, which are inadmissible in court. And then that triggered b- them being list- blacklisted, even though wow. their stories are amazing. These guys, don't tell me any Afghan is not courageous, because that that, that really is very offensive to every Afghan. Because when we decide to be loyal, whether it's the Taliban, whether it's the, it's the same Afghans, yeah. They're going to go and they're going to lay down their lives for you. They're, they're going to save this guy. I have clients who literally threw themselves in front of bullets to uh, to protect American soldiers. Wow. And they, they got they got they got shot and they got denied. Uh, they got they got their visa, uh, the initial chief of mission application approved. And then. After an interview, uh, to get their visas, after sp- spending thousands of dollars to make it all the way to the interview to get their visas, they, they, they're told that, I'm sorry, we got a, a chief of mission just send us this other letter revoke, revoking your, your approval. We have hundreds of, and thousands of those individuals. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we've labeled them as terrorists. So in any event... 
So uh, I, I want to go. Ahead. So what yes. I, I want to do is because I want to. I know you you give me being gracious with your time. Um, I'm gonna let you go ahead and, and, and just uh, if you want to close, I'll give your final thoughts on everything. I know we covered a lot, and there's a lot probably a lot more we can cover. And you've actually been uh, pretty good. I know you gave me a certain slot of time, and we went over it. But um, is there any final thoughts on this, Bashir? Well, I mean, I don't really have any final thoughts because obviously. Uh, like every other person that has been uh, uh, following the situation. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wake up every morning and I really pinch myself, try to, and I, I, I want to know whether, you know, I'm, this is real or is this a dream? Yeah. Uh, so my, my final thoughts are with my people, with my fellow Afghans. Yeah. And I just want to send a message to them. Uh, please don't lose hope. Uh, this is uh, just answering your phone calls and giving you a little glimmer of hope is a very big psychological boost for you. I, this is amazing how much I give you just by answering your calls. I, 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 I notice this, this impact that, 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 that it causes you. Uh, you, you. You are suffering psychologically, uh, but the American people are with you. The American people will not turn away from you. The American government has abandoned you and has betrayed you. But that's that's not that the American people's will overcomes yeah. the, the actions of the government. So this is my promise to you guys. If you're qualified under the law, not, not under any kind of other moral obligations, if you're qualified under the law to immigrate to the U.S., my promise is that I'm going to do everything you can. This is my duty to, to get you here. Uh, or to get you out of Afghanistan. And I'm already working on it. And I've gotten a lot of you guys out. And I really feel very proud about that. And this is the American way. And the, I think that I exemplify the, the American way very good. I came in this country as a refugee. We, 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 we escaped the war. My dad sat our family and told us, okay, before we celebrate our new life in this country, I want you... <laughs> I get it. I know. I'm sorry, but no, it's, it's fine. The, You're fine. This is this country has more to promise than what has been given to Afghans. That's the only thing I can close out with. No, I I I, I hear you. And I appreciate you, Bashir. Thank you so much. Um, just for your time, man, and um, Attorney Bashir Kazalim, and I just. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry you, you have to go through this. I'm sorry that your family has to go through this and your people have to go through this. And that's why I really wanted to do a pod, man, so we can kind of put a, a humanitarian f- uh, face on this human face on this particular um, saga. And so, um, so, uh, we, we, we Afghans get very embarrassed for crying. No. And this is the first, my two kids are sitting in front of me and, and, and next to me, and this is the first time that they've seen me cry. <laughs> and they're shocked. <laughs> So, so you got me, uh, Kamara. So you, you got me, brother. Oh so, no! Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't trying to make you cry, bro. I wasn't <laughs> no. trying to make you cry. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good cry. I, I'd rather have them see me cry like this than uh, in any other circumstances. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you, and um, I'm gonna let you run. I'm gonna do a closeout, and um, you know, thank you so much, man. And uh, you know, if you were. 
listen, if we have to do a part two, would you mind jumping back on this pod? Not at all. Any time. Any time. I, I declined every other interview uh, so far, but, you know, I was saving it all for you, brother. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you for, for running such a very educative. You did all your research. Uh, you came very prepared. And uh, and the amount of knowledge that you, you have, to, you brought to the interview, made it a very productive interview. <coughs> And uh, just one thing, because I'm yeah. I'm a grammar freak, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, uh, you know I, I I started out in the ESL uh, the first year, and within a few weeks uh, I was promoted to college prep English. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, but this is not your fault. A lot of this, a lot of people that have been dealing with Afghanistan for many decades, uh, the. Uh, the adjective for the, uh, 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 the, the, we, we call Afghan uh, the, the people of Afghanistan as Af- Afghans and not Afghani. The Afghani is the currency of Afghanistan, God. and even gotcha. Af- even Afghans make this mistake when they speak in English. Uh, they they say Afghani, uh, which is not really uh, uh, the proper proper reference term uh, to uh, to uh, the, the Afghans. So it's it's Afghans Afghanistan and Afghans, and uh, so just sorry. Uh, I just needed to I I, I make this. Uh, a little correction with all my friends, so I consider you as a friend also. So that's that's just wanted to uh, 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 kind of uh, make that public uh, service announcement. Oh no, no, that's that's great. That's great. Listen, that's how we on this pod. That's how we learn. I'm you know I appreciate it. I'll accept all uh, tutelage and um, correction, and I'm with it, man. So I appreciate okay. you. Thank you so okay, much. Great. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. No. Thank you, man. All right. Take care. All right. I'll, until next time. Take until care. Until next time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. You know, one of the things I'll say, um, just ending out this pod, man, is that, you know, it's hard to really um, have a conversation surrounding an incident like this and not put a human voice behind it. And I think it's important for people like Bashir to jump on his podcast and really offer their perspective because I think it it humanizes the actual um, what we're seeing on television and what we're hearing on um, from different news outlets, you know, Uh, with the U S actually departing um, Afghanistan, um, there is a thought, but okay, well, who's going to take on that, that power vacuum. Right. And, you know, as we mentioned in this program, the Afghanistan is not, it's, um, one of the problems is that they're actually one of the poorest nations in the uh, in the world. But what we don't know is that geologists have revealed that in the country, it there lies a crossroad between Central and South Asia, is sitting on mineral po- deposits that are uh, nearly one trillion dollars in estimated value. Um, supplies of minerals such as like iron, copper, gold, um, and across the provinces, um, just rare earth met- minerals that. Perhaps most importantly, could be one of the world's biggest deposits of lithium, an essential but scarce component in rechargeable batteries and other technologies vital to tackling um, the climate crisis. Um, Afghanistan is certainly one of the region's richest in traditional precious metals, but also the metals needed for emerging for an emerging economy. You need the supplies, and you need a you know government or a unless for back of, lack of a better term. Um, you need just the structure to actually access these particular things. So who's actually going to be interested in these particular minerals? Well, China. Um, China around has been going around the world, and you know this actually goes into the African diaspora. 
that they have actually, um, they're very much into mining into different countries. They've done this in Africa. They've done this in the Caribbean islands. And now they have their eyes set on Afghanistan. Um, and this is also um, taken on interest with those in Russia. Uh, Russia, as early as uh, May of 2021, tried to do institute talks between the Taliban and um, Af- um, Afghanistan leaders Afghan leaders and that, um, you know, trying to come, uh, come to an accord, the Taliban marched out of that meeting, not creating a, any form of peace accord, but really it was those uh, world notable world leaders noting, noting that, um, it was Russia trying to institute themselves into that area because they understand the importance of the, um, of the financial, uh, um, stake that can be had in that country. Uh, and so, um, international, uh, community is very much aware of what's happening in um, Afghanistan. And, you know, currently uh, there's only a few countries in the world that ha- account for, let's say, dislithium, um, Republic of Congo, Congo and Australia, which currently account for 75% of the global output of lithium, cobalt and other rare earth metals. So you, if you can find another uh, uh, space in this planet that can uh, provide such a, invaluable research, you're going to actually want to um, pay close attention to it. You know, the U.S. couldn't uh, monetize that or they haven't done so as of yet. And so now we have other countries trying to figure out in the midst of this power struggle. You have the Afghan people who are dealing with the um, power structure of the Taliban who are going to institute their own form of Sharia law and whatnot. So it's a very tenuous situation right now. And um, it's hard to really grasp where we're going to go from here but i think it's really important for us to have an idea of just how everything ties in um and how you know although this is generally a program that focuses on black issues um this actually they're all interrelated um in everything so uh with that being said because we talked about money and we talked about everything involving um this particular uh region of the earth i'm gonna play a song uh, that uh, talks about money. So check it out. And thank y'all for listening to this podcast. And we're going to ride out. Ron Brown. Yes. Yes. Are we back in the most amazing way? Well, let me introduce you to the new talk. Let's get straight to it. Come on. We getting there. I got Middle East women and Middle East bread. I got oil well money in the desert playing golf. Doje shorts, dashiki with a Louis scarf. Chest cold diamonds make us make it wanna call. And Dubai, 20 million on a villa loft. And then I step up in a club and then these oven oven man is shit. The way I make the people want sing the hook in Arabic. Lie, 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 holla, holla, holla.